Hello, and welcome to the fireside chat of FreightWaves. My name is Philippe Damas, Managing Director of Drury Shipping Consultants, and I will discuss today with uh, Andrew Gillsby, who will introduce himself in a minute, uh, the current major concern and topic of ocean transportation log jams, how US importers deal with record shipping delays and undersupply. I just ask Andy to introduce himself. Welcome, Andy. Hi, Philip. Thank you. Uh, I'm Andy Gillespie. I am the global director of uh, logistics for Ansel Healthcare Products and Ansel Limited. And uh, I've been in this role for 17 years and 42 years in the logistics business since uh, finishing the university. Right. Thank you. So. The reason why we chose this topic of ocean transportation log jams is that uh, for background, many of you may have seen in the newspaper the congestion at ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach is the worst that we've ever seen it. Uh, globally, 50% of ships are arriving late now. At origin, a high percentage of cargoes is not shipped on the original ship and uh, ship utilization how the load factors of ships is at a record high. And the container velocity is 25% lower than last year, leading to major shortages. Andy, could you give a bit of background on how this is influencing your operations from sensitive products like PPP that you ship? Well, yeah, Philip, uh, uh, most of what Ansel's producing and, and shipping around the world globally is, uh, is uh, protective personal equipment. Uh, uh, most of that is in the protective glove space, exam gloves, if you will, uh, but also in, uh, in, in disposable protective uh, suits and, and, and other categories. So, you know, we're very much in this mix and in this fight to uh, move, move the PPE around the world and get it to the, uh, the people that need it most. Uh, our operations are based in Asia for our production and our sourcing. Uh, Southeast Asia is our largest. Uh, entity and then the subcontinent and uh, North Asia, China, Korea also play uh, roles in this. We're moving things to all the major markets. Uh, that's about 20, 22,000 TEUs annually at this pace with, uh, you know, a lot of growth because of the expansion of PPE. So we are basically fighting for equipment and fighting for bookings and space on vessels. Uh, with every other commodity that ships in an ocean container. So no matter what it is, PP or not, we are fighting for that space. Uh, we're successfully on time 40, 50% of the time compared to where we would have been back last summer, in let's say June, July, and August. Mm -hmm. So normally we'd be in an 80% range of shipping in the window that we plan uh, and then uh, some tweaking that might be a week or, week or so extended from that and now we're in a situation where maybe 40% of our 40 percent of our schedule is actually moving on the time it needs to move uh, and that's also being faced with uh, congestions at destination side with particularly certain ports like uh, LA Long Beach uh, and ports affected with uh, you know, downstream from them but right. uh, it's so, been so a very was, difficult time yeah so the extent of the problems for a global shipper like you so we wanted to discuss between us 
and have a sort of discussion uh, for questions. And I'm going to start by asking Andy the first question. So what will beneficial cargo owners or shippers need to do differently and how in their approach or strategy to be successful in managing ocean transportation in this really difficult environment? Well, it's, that's a, a wonderful question. And I would have said a year ago uh, that a lot of it is, especially the size company we are, that uh, we're not the super large, uh, high volume uh, uh, Walmart size uh, BCO. We are a large BCO, but not in that super category. And we do have a global footprint. So it's it was always incumbent on us to work on relationships with our, our key carriers. And most of our volume does move with directly with uh, ocean carriers, with the balance moving with uh, with, with NVOs. But uh, having those relationships with the, the, the carriers is something we, we pride ourselves in. We put a lot of time into. Uh, it's a mixed bag, though. You know, some carriers are more open for that, or maybe it's the, uh, the people we're working with. You know, again, with a global footprint, uh, that means we have to cover multiple trade lanes with, uh, you know, our global carriers. And some of are we consider success, successful relationships and others always a work in progress. In the current environment with such a tight market and, and uh, so many limitations on space and, and, and those kind of things, everything is strained. Every relationship we have is strained. And it, now it's how do we get information? How do we improve our forecasts? As we do improve our forecasts, are they really using our forecasts? Uh, the, 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 the battle is at a local level at the origins, and it's at a, at a regional level and a trade lane level, and it's at a global level. Three different levels that we're trying to work at the same time, again, with our, with our carriers. And we've, we've just spent a lot of time and energy on that. And we've had to reach out toward more NVOs and non-contract carriers. Uh, for for options, because the deals we set up in the past uh, aren't covering the majority of our needs. Exactly. Thanks very much for sharing your experience. So also we we heard similar uh, experiences and similar difficult choices from other BCOs like Anson. So what we've seen is people are really looking again at their mix of carriers and NVOs, again looking for options, looking for relief capacity in some cases. And people are starting to talk about having a different type of contract with more commitments and more guarantees so that there are fewer surprises and fewer problems. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a competition, I think, where if you're a BCO, you want to be the, the company whose box is lifted on that ship, not the one at the back of the queue waiting for a ship which may never turn up. Okay, so we, we need have a tight schedule. Let's move to the next question. So, Philip, this is my turn. What needs to be done in the current situation uh, of this huge undersupply to the demand, and 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 when when will this end? Okay, so our opinion it's first an industry wide and even a global issue, and as we analyze this and when we talk to ocean carriers or BCOs, we find that the main bottleneck is to do with container uh, equipment, less so for space on ships. And when we look at this 
to the next degree, we also see that this shortage of containers is driven by two exceptional and temporary factors. So the first factor is in the last few months, the cargo volumes were 25-30% higher than they were a year ago. There's been a major boom in imports into the US. That's to do with replenishment and COVID-19 um, volatility. And we don't think this strong surge of imports will last forever. So hopefully, uh, if you're a bit patient, things will improve in the second half of the year. We're not sure, but that's a hope. The second exceptional factor is that because of port congestion at the ports and inland and because of some misuse of containers, the velocity of containers of the number of trips done by a container, a shipping container per year, has dropped by 30%. And this is what's really tightening the situation and make it bad for everybody. Again, we think that once the container supply chains are stabilized, once the carriers bring back some schedule reliability and try to use less congested ports, hopefully, there will be better velocity of containers and more available equipment. So it's, it's partly an industry issue. The pressure will be on the carriers, on the ports, and on shippers and forwarders, everybody, to try to bring stability back. And the third piece, I think, is that we are seeing carriers invest in new shipping containers. The statistics we have at Drury is that the production in the second half of this year is up 80% from last year. So the carriers appear to be taking that seriously, but it will take a while until the containers are, are available. But Andy, how do you see this issue as, as, a, as a BCO? Well, I, I tell you that uh, in July, this past July, we couldn't forecast, and I didn't see anyone forecast, that early September would be a, a critical, would start to be a critical uh, situation on the Trans-Pacific, and then roll into the other trade lanes. Uh, in the past, when we've had critical trade lanes, it might be just a major trade lane, but not every trade lane. And this went from September to October, and then expanded into Asia, Europe, and then intra-Asia, and became, well, as we see, a global phenomenon. Uh, Nobody knew in July, though. Right. So okay. now we are every month since then. I, you know, alerted management that it's going to be a few more months, a few more months, right. ever since September. And here we are in February, and a lot of predictions out there. I like this quote, right? Predictions are tough, especially if they're about the future. <laughs> a lot of predictions are, hey, it looks like April or maybe the end of the next quarter, right. or which would be June. You know, it's like, well, maybe, well, I guess we'll have to see. I agree. The demand keep got, came. Everything I look at is the demand cannot keep up this pace. Alan Murphy at CNTEL blamed the demand on the U.S. demand, and he had a lot of good indicators that the U.S. was driving a lot of the global demand and sucking up, like you said, well, the containers are disappearing. Well, you know, I think the, the, the consensus from people like Alan are they're getting sucked up by the U.S. demand and impacting every other trade line. Mm -hmm. So when are we going to get out of this? It's, it can't last forever. I got, I, I do have one fear. So I've been doing this long enough to, to see several times in the last couple of decades, demand stopped after nine 11. And then uh, the financial crisis at the end of the end of uh, 2009 or so demand stopped it, like on a dime. And all of a sudden 
the ships are all half full because no one's shipping anything. And it's like, right. that's what been one of my fears. The demand, maybe they'll figure out that all the containers that you and I can't get are stuck at destination distribution centers because the, des- the, the warehouses are full and they cannot unload the, load, the, the containers that are arriving so that we can't recycle those containers back into the system. And it's like, well, exactly. if the warehouses are full, at some point the buyers are going to stop buying them. Mm-hmm. Okay. When they Wait. do that, last year they did it. In April, they stopped buying. And then okay. in June, they started placing orders again. Great. Thanks very much. Then we got September. Okay. Yeah. So let's move to the third question, a question for you, Andy. So the focus of many BCOs is to manage their global transportation from end-to-end, door-to-door, but the carrier focus tends to be towards port-to-port. So in your view, what innovations should we expect from any logistics providers, carrier or 3PL, to help companies like you accomplish um, your goals successfully? Well, things we we're looking for, and this isn't just about NVOs and, and, and carriers. In uh, and, and my thinking, it's also with other services, logistic services that might provide visibility or uh, uh, procurement support and, 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 and uh, you know, other services, alerting uh, if you send an alert out on on port congestion or ports, port throughput, uh, port issues around the world, to me, a guy like me, I'm looking at these and, say, and picking out the top 20 ports that I'm dealing with and using that information to alert management that we're having issues. Here's where they are. Uh, we're confirming those issues locally on our own. And we might... Uh, I hate to use a U.S. analogy on this, but hey, we might bring things into into Oakland instead of instead of L.A. And it's like that's not our preference. We would never do this any other time. Or we've trucked things down from Bangkok into Malaysia to to sail out of Penang instead of instead of Bangkok or Lam Shabai. We do these things now, and and uh, the carriers and, and and NBOs in some cases the best. The better ones are giving us some tips and saying, hey, we can't do it here into, you know, for another couple of weeks. But if you can get the container into, into Malaysia, we have some openings up there next week. Right. Okay. So we've, we've gone to alternates and alternate alternates. Europe's a good example. China, Europe, uh, traditionally we're moving by vessel and uh, a little bit by rail. Right. So we've gone a lot more aggressive on the rail side looking for any possible way to move our, our cargo to the market. So we've expanded a lot to China Rail as an alternative to the the, the, uh, the vessels. Okay. Give me more choices. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, we are nearly running out of time. Shall we move to question four, Andy? We will, Philip. Uh, in Drew's experience of providing ship, shipping consultancy services, services to importers and exporters, what are the main objectives of companies struggling with these capacity problems and are they planning to change how they contract with ocean carriers this year yeah so I think, yes so i think that's um, problem number one for many importers particularly u.s importers but also european importers and this is how on earth do i deal with this capacity issue how do i ensure that my carriers honor their capacity commitments and so the best practices and innovations we are seeing in this area are around uh, changes and improvements and tightening of documents like RFI, RFQ for tenders, 
And so changes in the way that the BCOs work with the carriers, so different carrier management practices, including what is now known as becoming a, a shipper of choice. I don't know if you heard this, but becoming a shipper of choice for carriers means, as Andy referred earlier, I will provide you with a forecast of my volumes, I will book early, I will try to communicate with you the, uh, my expectations and my, my volumes, and I will try to develop efficient processes on both sides so that they are better aligned and so that the carriers can save money. And that includes working with really good key performance indicators or scorecards, having regular discussions with the carriers, having a tight process around things like booking acceptance, which is currently a problem where the carriers do not confirm bookings. And also uh, there are some interesting changes in types of contracts and contract language, including uh, what we call a tiered rates. So that's quite this year in particular, but I think also it will continue next year. The word business relationship with carriers will mean more, more joint work than in previous years. And I think we've reached the end of um, our time. And, and did you have a few final comments? I have some final comments is that I, I, I wholly subscribe to the building of relationships. This industry can drop down into a commodity business very quickly and often does. And people treat it that way. Uh, I leave my partner because I can, I can do better price-wise or service-wise with somebody else, leave them tomorrow, or they drop me tomorrow. And it's, again, commodity business. And Ansel does a lot of commodity business with things like latex and things. So we're kind of aware of how these things work. Right. Uh, I, I suggest if you want to be successful, find a good partner, marry up with a willing partner, and work both ways. And I know here's one way to tell, Philip, that you have a good partner. Every time you have a problem, okay, do they say yes or no? Do they give you a no, yes or no answer? Yes, we can. No, we can't. And if they mean, if they say no, they say no, come back next week or can't help you, all right, versus yes, we can or yes, we can, but here's an alternate solution. We can't do it the way you asked, but we can give you an alternative. Okay. And maybe I don't take the alternative, Philip, but they gave me a choice. Yeah, I want partners that give me some choices, some choices some other other answers. And when they come to me with a problem, that's how they know they have a good partner. I have to give them a yes or a, uh, uh, a, a, a flexible yes, you know, a yes with conditions. Great. That's all. Thank you. Thanks very much for sharing your experience and wisdom. And I'd like to close the, the session now. Thank you very much, everybody, and goodbye. Thank you, Philip. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs>